Welcome to the podcast of champions. This is the Herald Express Devon Live Talker United Yellow Army podcast created weekly for you by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. Here you can find everything you ever wanted to know about Talker United. You can find the podcast in the Talker United section of devonlive.com or you can subscribe to us in iTunes or at Acast. Welcome along to the football podcast with no football. Uh, we hope you're all well this week. Uh, we chat about the latest developments or lack of them really with the end of the National League season. But first of all, uh, Richard has had a chat with a former Torquay player, a bit of a legend at Playmore, a gentleman by the name of Martin Gritton. Uh, caught him on the phone the other day. We'll begin by going across to Richard's chat with Grits and then a little bit later on we will, of course, as usual, have much to discuss. Hi Martin, great to speak to you on the uh, podcast. Thank you for for letting us uh, talk to you. Um, you've got some good news. You've got a new job I hear. But um, what I wanted to talk about was really sixteen years ago that promotion game at Southend. Uh, does it seem like sixteen years ago? It's madness, isn't it? I mean, it's, it feels like a long time ago. But when you look at the pictures, it, I could I can imagine I can picture myself being back in the dressing room. It's just such a great great place to be, and what an incredible way to do it. It was it was a great season, wasn't it? And it was a great team as well. Yeah, we were we had a great side, and we built on the success of the, the season before. I think we we learned a lot. Um, I, I had kind of big parts of it. I was injured, but we were such a tight unit. Uh, we all kind of played our part in the end. Um, and, and yeah, I just I, I think it was kind of in it was a Roy McFarlane squad that Leroy inherited, and then built on with kind of a few of us from. Plymouth that were kind of key acquisitions that I think because Plymouth were doing so well they had a lot of, we had a really competitive squad at Plymouth and so the players that, that were missing out were really you know were players that managed to get Plymouth out of this league too so I think Leroy you know tapped onto that and, and his coaching and his ethos and mentality towards things was, was brilliant and it, it kind of really galvanised the squad. I mean you went on to have a decent career but you must look back on that as probably one of the most fun, fondest sort of periods of your career yeah? Yeah definitely you look at you you look at careers and like there's many ways you can look at it and see like how many games did I play, how many goals did I score, how many years did I play for, and I was like, well, you know, I played, I played for about 13 years professionally, which was I was really proud of. Played for some amazing football clubs. Just the, the high turnover of managers meant I didn't really settle anywhere as as much as I maybe wanted to. But I had some wonderful experiences at like in a, at Grimsby and, and Macclesfield and Lincoln, Chesterfield. You know, the just, you know it was. Um, just a great experience. Ever talking without a doubt was where I played. You know, I, I felt like it was where I, I forged my career. You know, and, and and played my most consistent football in, in terms of scoring goals as well. Because although you've got a very Scottish accent, apparently you're Cornish. Yeah, this is it. I'm a, a, an assimilated Cornishman. Basically, <laughs> I moved down there when I was four or five. So, um, Plymouth with my local team, and then obviously, you know, when you play in the southwest, you kind of get to know everyone. So went on a really good run with. Fourth eleven in the FA Raz that got me my trial and and kind of so I've always considered myself to be part of that kind of Cornish community, particularly in, in, in footballing terms. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So, so when you were at Torquay, I mean, this is a difficult question to answer, but um, who were the players? I mean, I remember talking to you about, about during that period when uh, you you turned up for your trial and you said that you know you 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 were wondering what it was going to be like and you got into the training pitch. And then you saw Alex Russell and David Graham playing. Mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, like, those, well, those guys, 
was so different. It was such a different setup to Plymouth, and I've kind of said this, you know, the Plymouth we were really regimented. We were, we were a, a, like a machine, you know. You could take a part out of that machine and put another part in. So Sturrock had twenty-two players that could. All of us could. We, we had a few more than that, but there were twenty-two players. There was what, two men for every position. Mm. Come to Torquay, didn't have those resources, and also just were different squads. You know, they were yeah. like Jason, Jason Fowler, perhaps one of the most naturally gifted players I've ever played with, and just like effortless. But carrying, you know, carrying injuries and had his had his issues with kind of uh, you know thyroid, and yeah. so he had, he had like things that he was managing. He had Alex Russell who. Was too small to play for Liverpool in the eighties, so he's <laughs> trying to keep his career going on league and build his way back up to be the best midfielder in that league. Probably the best midfielder in the bottom two leagues. I, I, like yeah. I've, not, I've not played with a better, better player on the pitch than him. Um, and then David Graham, just the enigmatic Maverick-style striker that just could make a goal from nothing, but um, but had that desire and drive. You know, the guy was never satisfied, and uh, and it propelled him onto greater things. And then you had players like you know Matt Hockley and Kevin Hill, you know local players who who'd managed to to break their way into the team. Yeah, perfect, and they're perfect examples of kind of just just being professional, hardworking, and being part of this team. Like Hilly had his moments of flair. Hawkers scored a couple of crackers, <laughs> but Hawkers Hawkers was dependable. You know, I remember like I look back at some pictures from from other teams that I played for and whenever I played against Torquay Hawkers would still be there you know he, he had a good career he was there Kevin Wills was brilliant uh, yeah. at, at Plymouth with me and um, he got players like Lee Tannerville just class yeah. I mean Joe Cafour those boys that had that kind of Arsenal pedigree you got um, uh, you know Dave Woosley Ruben Hazel yeah. um, I'm, I'm trying to think who I mean we were lucky we got Brian McGlinchey in uh, uh, but we'd had like Paul Holmes was just like kind of on his on, uh, in his retirement seasons and just the, a great person to have around because he had that kind of Premier League experience. So the, the dressing room was was brilliant, um, and, and you know, I, I, it's, yeah, I, I remember it fondly. It's just a shame that it didn't work out the season after, isn't it? Really, that was that was a disappointment. Very much so. And you look at you look back and you think, well, there's there's probably a lot of factors. If you going up in itself. Uh, you know, having to pay everyone a little bit more money, well, obviously Mike Bateson was probably like, I can't, I haven't got the resources, so I've got to strip back. So we ended up stripping back an already small squad. Brought in a few players, and to be fair, yeah. when, when we put Andy and in his pocket to get, like Leon Constantine, you look at um, some of the, the players that we had in and around the squad, um, but it was just, a, I think it was a task too far. Well, the biggest thing, and I've said this before as well, the goalkeeper, we did, we, we did was... Um, you know, Diaz was brilliant and then Arshavad used and did well but I think he went back to Hawks we, did, we didn't have a settled keeper yeah. we had keepers in and out and at that level you know you know, if you're, if you're at the wrong end of the league one table you need you need a good keeper you need someone at the back and we, we just didn't have a, a regular I think there was a lad that you know the was it Finnish or Icelandic lad that come over that was a bit of a, a, bit of a crazy character <laughs> um, uh, and, and you know just quite the margins are so tiny, like in terms of you, you're losing games by a goal, but that's it. You may as well have lost by 10. Yeah. You know, cause yeah, if, yeah. You, if you're bottom of the league, so if you're giving away sloppy goals, it hurts so much. And I, I remember that was kind of a trademark of kind of those sloppy errors that, you know, that aren't coaching. It's nothing to do with Leroy and it's nothing to do with person. It's just mistakes, you know, and, and 
can't get points on the board, you know, you're going to pay the price. Yeah. So, I, I guess, well, I know you keep an eye on Torquay these days because you do a bit of radio, don't you? I mean, how, how, obviously, the things have changed, you know, the season's over. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know about the playoffs yet. But how have you, how have you, you, you monitored Torquay over the last couple of years and, and what, what have you seen? I've, I've watched them fondly. Uh, do you know what? Getting Gas Johnson is just incredible. The guy, I'm, I'm, I used to play with Aaron Downs at Chesterfield, so I know what that guy's made of. He's, right. you know, absolute class act, brilliant coach. Yeah. Uh, the kind of guy that, you know, all the players I'm sure will respect and, and get some experience from him. But Gary Johnson's just brilliant. And he's still, you know, relentlessly picking up these young guys that have got something to prove, that have got that desire, uh, creativity. Obviously, there's, there's challenges, and there always is at Torquay. And but what, he's, what he does is he, he manages to put belief in them, and they can go on a run of like four or five games, and they look untouchable. And then I think once or twice I've seen them, and you know their heads can go down, and that's experience, you know. Yes. So whenever whenever they've lost, but they always seem to be able to get over it and come back. Um, and and I've really really enjoyed watching them. You know, it's 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 funny seeing the kind of there's still that ethos at Torquay, you know, the freedom, the way they want to play the kind of attacking football so I, I really enjoyed that um, I'd say uh, you know obviously Jamie Reid's a, a big big blow but the guy has been a brilliant servant for the club I hope he goes on to you know to get greater things and, and uh, always remembers the club fondly too Yeah I mean it, it's one of those things isn't it Gary Gary said this in an interview with me this week he, you know you, you come to a club, you find a player that is being underused, um, maybe doesn't quite know how to use his game himself properly. You, you build the team to, to, to help him out as well. He goes and scores 31 goals and you know, would have scored possibly 30 this season, 25 at least. And then suddenly, you know, you've created something that's marketable and, and you lose them. Well, this is it. You put that work in. But that's, I think, to be honest, I think that's... Enjoys that. I think he enjoys yeah, the fact yeah. he, can t- he takes these kids, he takes these kids, makes careers because he'll look on. There's, there's managers like him that come before him, you know, that bring young like people through, and I'm sure part of the pride in it is part of that process. Yeah. Um, Gary didn't come to Torquay thinking that he was going to sign big players and keep them. You know, I think he came and thought this is a great opportunity to develop. I, I remember playing against his Yeovil teams; they were horrible to play against. Some brilliant <laughs> football inside. Did Did you not finish. play for them on loan at one one time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I, I never played for, uh, for Gary. I went back. I had two spells. I had one very early spell for Colin Addison, who was right. a brilliant guy. Yeah, a fantastic sort of storyteller. Would tell brilliant kind of <laughs> team talks. Then at the end, I came back and played for Terry Skiverton, and um, so. Terry Skiverton and Dan Way were just yeah. a management combo so that was the remnants of, of yeah. the teams that Johnson built um, but yeah again similar sort of ethos always thought Torquay and, and Yovo were kind of twinned like that you know I always had the challenge of getting players to come because we're slightly more you know remote um, but then but then we'd create this you know good squad unity and great atmosphere in the dressing room that you know if you get it right can, can you know catch fire Brilliant. So you never decide. You, you never thought you might like to go into coaching or management. You've, you, you... Well, I'd, I'd say probably for my. I went through the uni process. Yeah, was that's right. Um, so I never did the never did the the, the youth team setup. So the, I always found that kind of. And when I was I, I was living with Kev Wells and Ian Stonebridge and those guys that come through, and they were it was part of the fabric of them, you know. So it's like, well, I've always been around football clubs. This is kind of I've always. And I didn't quite have that, so I always felt like football was just a lovely, you know, a lovely thing to be able to do for that period of time. And that's why I'm delighted to be working in kind of more on the media side of things because I get to watch it, get to be involved in it, 
Exactly. So, so the new job, the new job is the the uh, London Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, um, really delighted to join the team there. Working on the marketing comms team. Uh, so, just be working on events. Um, you know, they've got athletics that they have there. They've got their baseball last summer. Um, they have the odd gig. So, just helping uh, you know promote those things and and um, yeah, get get stuck in when whenever there's back up and running. And you'll be able to go and see West Ham for free, I suppose. Well, this is it. Yeah. The West <laughs> Convenient. Yeah. Uh, I'll, be delight- I'll be happy to watch that too. Brilliant. Thank you very much for talking to us, Martin. It's been a pleasure, and uh, you know it's great to chew over the fat on the old the old team because obviously I was around at the time as well, and it's just a lovely memory. You know, um, I, I, Mike gave me the opportunity to work there for a couple of years for for pittance, but I would have I would have yeah. taken twenty quid a week. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Were you on the team bus on the way back from that Southampton? Uh, no, I wasn't. I was. I, I I drove up that day actually. I drove my dad and uh-huh. a couple of friends up. So, but I was in the um, <laughs> I was in the press box and I cried. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, Rich. Bye. Thanks, mate. Bye. So an interesting chat with um with a great player, Richard. He's he's good company, isn't he? He's really used to you. You see, that was that was very professional of me. I saw you do that, and I I saw you put the biscuit there, and I still asked you a question. You see, that's the beauty of video conferencing, isn't it? How professional are we? A bit longer at the start there. Well, I tell you what, though, the chat with grits. I mean, that Cornish accent comes through all the way through as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's got a bit of a twang to it. Absolutely. But, what I mean, what a great player he was and what a good guy as well. A, a nice chat and his memories of that 2004 team. Um, obviously, it was very interesting what he was saying there about Gary Johnson and about Aaron Downs as well and, and the, the current Torquay United squad. He obviously regards both of them pretty highly, doesn't he? He does. He played with Aaron at Chesterfield. Aaron would have been quite young, but he still says he was a leader there. Um, and uh, obviously, he, he's known Gary, known of Gary, watched Gary's teams, played against Gary's teams for, for years. So um, he's well aware of their uh, of how good they are. And he rates Gary very, very highly from what he was saying to me. He, you know, As a manager who can find players and turn players into into something that they weren't before. And, you know, like he said, it's a blow to lose um, Jamie Reid. We're all still trying to get over that. But um, Gary is almost the right person to have to find someone new. And he he said, you know, Gary will thrive on on taking players like Jamie Reid and and getting them better, better careers, you know, giving them better careers. Yeah. And it, I mean, if you're a young player and you're looking to uh, you're looking to get a break in the game, you're looking to get a break at national league level. If you look at what um, what Gary and Aaron have done with Jamie, I mean, Jamie's a good player anyway. I'm not saying that he, he's he's turned you know a, a poor player into a good one, but he's turned a good player into a great one, hasn't he? A great goal scorer at this level. And if you're a young player, you look at that and think, well, you know, that could be me. I could be the next one. If you were a young player, you'd want to work with Gary, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, we've seen players come to Torquay, uh, loan players from Bristol City. Now, there's an obvious link there, we know that. But um, loan players from other clubs, young loan players. And then, you know, players who have signed on full-time, some of them I don't think we would have got unless uh, 
Gary had, had, had been at the club. Mm. Um, so yeah, so so Martin says, as Martin says, you know, he's an asset, um, and we should we should um, be thankful for that in these times, especially. And we're twelve players already signed on for next next uh, season, whenever that happens. Well, that um, things are looking okay. Yeah, that, well, that was going to be my next tack, if you like, because with the uh, the government's announcement, everything's eased a little bit. We can all head off to the garden centre now and um, we can drive out and do a bit of exercise. It surely won't be long before sporting events start to happen behind closed doors anyway. The Bundesliga starts this weekend, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, but uh, let's see how that goes, because there's already illness, isn't there, in, um, in some of the team squads, yeah. so... You know whether that's going <clears> to <throat> happen or not. Um, for you know whether it will happen again after this weekend, we don't know. We don't know. We'll see how it goes. Once you start, it would be difficult to stop the ball rolling, as it were, wouldn't it? But, yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to see. I mean, the Premiership seems seems to be absolutely determined to go ahead, and I think that's more to do with money than than anything else. Yeah, the Championship sounds like it's split. Some teams do, some teams don't want to to carry on. League one and two, I think they're they're almost ready to call it a day, and are just waiting for you know guidance from the government and from the football league uh, and the EFL. I, I don't think League one and two will finish, um, and then they'll be in the similar situation to the National League, where you know the, the season's over, but the the table still remains as it was at the moment at the end of the season. It's not been. It's not been taken back to zero. And that's because, you know, there's still issues having playoffs. So <clears throat> we're all waiting to see. Um, like I said in the piece in the paper this week, um, the Premiership is waiting for the government. The EFL is waiting for the Premiership. The National League is waiting for the EFL. And we're all waiting for the National League. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Everyone's waiting for someone to make a decision. It is crazy that we still don't know whether there's going to be playoffs, whether the league just sort of resets for next season. And meanwhile, players are out of contract. Players, are, you know, players are uncertain. At least, as we say, Torquay have got um, have got those twelve players signed up. They've got some security over the summer, but um, somebody needs to take hold of this and lead this, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, someone like Ryan Grimm would do. He sounds like an intelligent bloke. He would a, a football task force. Headed by ex goals, that would do the job for me. That sounds perfect to me. <laughs> I um, I, I do have a little apology to, to to make to Martin during that that interview, which I really enjoyed doing because he's such a, a nice fella. Um, I did say that when he turned up on trial um, and saw Alex Russell and David Graham playing on the training pitch. Of course, when he turned up the first time, he turned up on loan from Plymouth. Ah. So apologies for getting that wrong. But um, I, I checked it out afterwards and I realised my mistake. Um, I, I had a little glass of wine last night, maybe two, and uh, I did spend most of the evening, I think, in front of the front of the uh, computer watching old talky stuff. I've done that for a long time. Um, music went on the back burner last night, and uh, out came the uh, the YouTube videos. I did I did them all. I did Barnet Southend. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a very good night indeed. But. Feeling it a bit today. I'll bet. Well, there's a lot of Talkie United out there on YouTube. I mean, one of the Yorkshire girls, Chris from the Yorkshire girls, is uh, is in isolation at the moment. He was writing about it on Facebook the other day. Hope uh, hope you and your family are well, Chris. But uh, I did say at least there's plenty of Talkie material out there on YouTube to watch. There's uh, there's certainly no shortage of goals clips. Somebody was sharing a Mark Loram clip this morning as well, which is uh, obviously glorious. In the hideaway. <laughs> No, on the pitch. This was uh, this was. Oh, not... right. 
Marco, yeah. Law's in his pomp on the pitch, but uh, there you go. Plenty no, of. He was, he was a wonderful player. And Cafella, watch that penalty shoot out at Wembley. You missed that first one. It wasn't so much a miss actually when you watch it. It was, it was, a, it was a very good save by the by the. Uh, by the yeah. keeper that day. Yeah. Oh, you'd, you'd have put your money on Laws not to miss the target at least, wouldn't you? But first penalty taker as well, but then, of course, uh, Gareth uh, saved the second penalty, so it was uh, back to square one. That's it. And thank heavens for Dave Bamber, as we often say. But um, Gritz was very interesting on the subject of that 2004 team, wasn't he? He's called Jason Fowler one of the most naturally gifted players that he's ever played with as well. Alex Russell, probably the best midfielder in the bottom two leagues. And David Graham, an enigmatic maverick who could uh, take a, make a goal from anything. I, I like his... Uh, when he, I mean, obviously, uh, playing with those players must have been a joy. He's um, completely right about Jason Fowler, and we know about the injuries and the illness, which uh, kind of hampered his career and... and so that he didn't play at the highest level that he, he might have done. Um, he says about Alex Russell, doesn't he, that he was too small to, to, to make it in the Liverpool team of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, you forget he was part of that, that youth setup at a Liverpool team that was probably one of the most successful Liverpool teams yeah. ever. Do you know what I mean? He was, yeah. he was in and around that. Um, you know, uh, what an experience that must have been. I was always surprised that Alex Russell never... Never went on to do more in coaching. I know he did a bit at Bristol City, and yeah. and um, he went into non-league circles, Western League circles. But um, I, I, he he really studied the game. Dave Thomas used to say to me that if you watched Alex, if he was watching a game, a youth game, reserve game, whether you could see his brain ticking away. You know, he, he was studying the game, and I, I really and there was there was there was a there was a point I think when he was. He was possibly interviewed for the manager's job. I can't remember which which uh, point that was between which managers, but um, I think he did get an interview at one point, and, and I would have liked to see him. I would see him giving a go, maybe as assistant manager. Yeah. A very clever footballing brain, uh, Alex Russell had. Indeed, uh, there's, there's a musical and theme. Sorry. So, sorry, go on. Uh, there's a musical theme to uh, this week's podcast as well. There are there are tunes cropping up everywhere. Um, I haven't actually got any music to play you, but uh, just before we leave the uh, Martin Gritton interview, his brother was in a really good band, wasn't he? We should throw that in. His brother was in a band. Yeah, his brother was in a band called Adorable, which were on. They were on Creation Records around about just before the time that Oasis broke. Now, Creation Records was always already a big label to be on. A very sort of collectible indie indie label had some big bands on it, but obviously when Oasis came along, it went stratospheric. But you know, bands who signed to creation, you know, some of them went on to do big things. And adorable, I hate the term shoegaze. There is a there is a genre of music called shoegaze. Um, they were kind of shoegaze, which is basically fuzzy guitars, dreamy vocals, uh, that kind of thing. For anyone who doesn't know what, what the term means um, he, Kevin Britton was the drummer of Adorable I met him once uh, in, a, in, in the, um, the boardroom actually after a game him and his dad were there and um, he, he told me a great he ended up being a, a maths teacher in, in Cornwall but um, obviously um, he had some great memories of his time in Adorable <clears throat> told me a story about um, when they toured Japan and they got off the plane and there were screaming girls at the airport. That's how big they were in Japan. 
big in Japan. There you go. Yes. And it, it, I mean, if you want That'd to. Nice bloke, and if you look at the Sunshine Smile video on YouTube, um, under the, the comments underneath the video, there are a lot of kids going, "That's my maths teacher." <laughs> and if you want to know the definition of shoegaze, uh, have a look at that video for Sunshine Smile on YouTube. When you finish watching the talkie highlights, it's a good tune and uh, and a video that's very much of its time, should we say? Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a good one. And before we move on to our A to Z of uh, Play More, which we will very shortly, a word for Nick Broderick and the Fan Zone column in the Herald Express this week. Uh, good column well, again this week, Nick. What? Do you know what, Guy? Before you go on, I'd written Nick Broderick down on my paper here because um, he's been doing the column for three weeks, four weeks now, and I hadn't mentioned it, and I was going to this week, but you've beat me to it, so well done. Well, I mean, it's, very, it's a very good point that he makes about um, season tickets as well, isn't it? I mean, there are all sorts of questions. Yeah. Every time you think about this current lockdown regulation situation, more questions crop up. And, uh, yeah, what do you do about the people who hold, hold season tickets and have missed five games? Um, there's a question for the club to answer, I suppose. I will, I will ask that question this week. Um, I, I've got a great relationship with Gary. can talk to Gary whenever I want, but I'm... Finding it difficult to talk to other people inside the club for some reason. So I shall send that email off and we'll see what kind of uh, reception it gets. Yeah, see what happens. But yeah, I did, it's um, a regular column in the Herald Express from Nick, the fan zone from the Talkie United Supporters Trust. Um, we at the Herald are delighted to have them on board and it's a good little column, isn't it? It's, it, it covers more fan stuff than than maybe I do. I mean, I'm, I'm writing about the football, although there's not much football to write about at the moment, but, you know, the, 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 the club, etc., where, where where Nick can, can sort of pick up little stories that he's seen online through fans' websites, etc., talk about the trust and how that is supporting the club. And, yeah, I, I think it's a really, um, a really good addition to the Talk United pages. And I... I, I I don't know why we didn't do it before, really. Uh, Nick collared me outside Playmore, one of the final games that we, we played this season um, after I took over from Dave Thomas. And uh, he collared me as I was walking away and uh, came up with the suggestion. And it took us a couple of weeks to chat about it. And then, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's gone really well. And uh, it's, it's, I, I hardly have to sub it. He, he's a good writer as well. Indeed. And he pulls us up quite rightly for during the H's last week that we didn't mention our old colleague Gordon Hines who's one of the um, he, the ages. He, he does. Now, I didn't work with Gordon Hines, but you did for years, so you must be more guilty than me, surely. Can't? I am. I hold my <laughs> hand up. I am guilty. I used to sit with Gordon in the press box for uh, for many, many years. A top-class news and sport reporter, Gordon. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, good guy to work with. I, 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 did think, I did think, you know, if... Um, if you're talking about, you know, newspaper men and Talk United and, and we missed out on Gordon Hines and, and we're adding him now, then we go add your stick yourself as well, haven't we? The H's? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Do you know, I hadn't even thought about that. And me? <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's the H. The three of us. The H team. Yeah. There we are. Well, let's move on to the I's then, without further ado then. There are only three. Is this going to take long? I've, I've no. I've got to take a dog for a walk. No, it isn't going to take long at all. There are only three players whose names begin with I who have played for Torquay United down the years, but they're all interesting characters. Let's take them in a kind of an order. Uh, John Impey is the first one. Uh, John Impey, who was born in Exeter. He played for Cardiff. He played 280-odd games for Bournemouth. And he'd even had a season with Seattle Sounders before he came to play more. 
He came wow. and played for us. To, first of all, he played for us between 83 and 85. Uh, then he went off, to, um, went off to another club somewhere up the A38, whose name escapes me. Uh, played a few games for them. And then came back to us again, 86 to 88, played another 58 games. Uh, Cyril Knowles made him captain as well. That's quite an accolade, isn't it? If you if, if you think about, or if you want to think about the archetypal kind of hard man footballer from that period, then yeah. John M. P. Is, is is one that would pop into your head, I think, isn't it? John Impey is, is the man, after he finished playing football, um, you know, we'll come to his managerial career in a minute, but one of the jobs that he did do for a little while, remember the days way, way back when the insurance man used to come and knock on your door once a week and collect your um, insurance and, you know, after 20 years or whatever, your insurance would mature and you'd get a bit of money. It was it, it, before the internet, these kind of things used to happen. And our Pearl Assurance man for a little while was John Impey. Funnily enough, one of our other previous... Was he really? One of the other previous Pearl Assurance men um, sits about five seats away from me in the press box. Um, so it's, it's a small world. But John came round, absolutely terrifying figure, comes and knocks on the door and asks, you know, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, how much do you want, John? <laughs> But that was, I think that was a job that he did in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in between the, the, the end of his uh, football career and the beginning of his management career. Um, uh, Mike Bateson made him manager in 1991, didn't he? Um, and he led Torquay to that playoff win over Blackpool that you were talking about just now. He was the man. Your picture is breaking up, Richie. Can you still hear me, by the way? Yeah, I'm, I'm having awful trouble hearing you, to be honest. You're uh, turning into a Dalek. <laughs> oh, well, that's, yeah, that, that happens to me from time to time. I'll just keep on going here because I've got the microphone recording and, and um, we'll pick you up as we go along. But uh, well, that, It's improved, actually. Oh, that's better. That's good. But yeah, he led Torquay to that, uh, that Wembley win over Blackpool in the playoff final. And then talk about how brutal football is. Eight games into the following season... Um, he departed from Playmore. We'd lost seven of those eight games and that was the end of uh, John Impey's career managing Torquay United. But uh, nice guy, re- a much nicer bloke than you'd have... Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to cross him on the pitch, but off the pitch, he was a lovely fella. I think it was also, was it Mike Bateson's first season in charge as chairman? I think, I think it was. Been on the board. Yeah. I think it was the first... Uh, year he was chairman it was his first appointment and they won promotion straight away through the playoffs and I think Mike well, I know Mike said to me before he, he, he thought well this is going to be easy this, this, this chairman stuff <laughs> uh, and of course so, so Mike and John had um, had a, a different feeling to, to you know feeling of the game the following the, with that bad start yeah. it, it is odd isn't it uh, the, the last two last the times we've been up to, to league as in, you know, we've we've really struggled. It's yeah. a step too far. And yet you look at teams like Oval who managed to get to the championship under Gary and you think, well, why couldn't we have done that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. The the, every, the stars just kind of fall I mean, into Martin, place, don't Martin, they? Yeah, I mean, Martin, Martin Gritton mentioned something that I'd not really thought of um, about that season that we went up to, to that level uh, after winning promotion at Southend. You know, you forget that we lost... Um, 
David Graham mm. uh, to Wigan. Now, okay, we did bring in Liam Constantine. Um, uh, Adabola, I think, came in that season. I can't remember, um, possibly. But um, it wasn't so much the 10 players on the pitch. It was the one player in goal that they couldn't get a stable goalkeeper. I think we started with a young lad on loan from Bristol and he didn't last very long. And then we had a succession of goalkeepers mm. and couldn't get a settled goalkeeper. And I think he thinks that that is the reason that we struggled so badly that year, especially after a year when Kevin Deard and Arjun van Houston have been so good. Yeah, he may well be right. I suppose that puts a confidence through the whole of the rest of the side, doesn't it? If you've got a settled keeper and you know who's behind you, then um, yeah, good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, next uh, next in the eyes then, Ivar Ingemarsson is the next in the eyes. Yeah, now, in my head, he played one game and scored one goal. As I, I looked it up earlier on, of course, he played four games, didn't he? But um, he appeared from nowhere... Yeah. Um, was brilliant for four games and then uh, and then left us he went under in... a bit of a cloud I think, because I think the deal was already done I think it was I mean he came in under Wes Saunders didn't he in 99 he'd been playing in, in Iceland he's from Reykjavik um, been playing in Iceland scored on his debut at Barnet where we won 2-1 Barnet were top of the league at the time apparently um, but yeah, I mean, there was always the feeling that he was um, he was basically just keeping a seat warm, wasn't he, at Playmore while the paperwork went through or whatever. And he went off to Brentford in November of that season and had a terrific career. Brentford, Wolves, played 250-odd games for Reading, 30 caps for Iceland. And a, what I didn't realise until I looked him up this morning, and this, continuing our musical theme, that uh, popular beat combo by the name of the Blue Tones who were also sort of early Britpop kind of a band. I, I, I would say one of, the, one of the early Britpop, just no shoegaze there, um, but very early Britpop. Indeed. Uh, uh, one of the, the first bands to, to really form that sound, I think. And the B-side of one of their early singles is apparently an instrumental called Ingemarsson, because one of the Blue Tones members is a massive uh, Brentford fan, and uh, they called the uh, the instrumental on the B-side Ingemarsson. Now, I haven't been able to find it yet. I'm looking for it. I was hoping to have found it and downloaded it I so I could play you a bit. But I, I also had a look. I, I don't think you're going to find it on the internet. It was, it's, um, it's available on a 50 of B-sides and rarities and, uh, and stuff like that. It's available on there, but you can't, I don't think you download that i can't find anywhere to download it i think it's, it's just a cd sale it is which is unusual these days it is and it's not uh, it's not on my regular uh, streaming service there's a lot of blue tones on my regular streaming service but that isn't on there so we haven't been able to bring you that that's a disappointment but if anybody out there has got it or can get at it then uh, do let us know i'd quite like to hear that and the third and final iplayer then iplayer isn't that a bbc thing uh, the third and final eye player is Levi Ives. Levi Ives, who was a, a full-back, a left-back, who I think, if I remember rightly, Alan Nil brought him in, uh, 2014. He only played 24 games for us, but I remember at the time that Dave and I were waxing lyrical about this lad. I thought he was one of those players who you thought you're going to be able to say one day, yeah, I saw him when he played for Torquay United. But it never quite happened that way, did it? He was—you were saying the other day—he was one of those players who, 
and we can understand it. it's not a criticism in any way but he was feeling homesick he ended up going back to Northern Ireland um, and has been playing he, there ever since he he, um, he came up for the, the, the youth ranks you know he, he was a, he was a youth player at Torquay so um, he was he was already at the club when I returned from my travels and uh, um, was just on the verge of breaking into the first team he was given a squad number um, by Kevin Nicholson, and um, <clears throat> you know Kevin Nicholson was a left back, so he knows left backs. Yeah. And um, he was given a squad number by Kevin Nicholson that season, and then ended up breaking into the team quite early. I think Kevin was injured, and uh, yeah, no, he, he gave Levi a chance, and he was a strong, oh, good player, kid. I mean, yeah. Seventeen, I think he made his debut. He might even have been sixteen, but I think he could have been seventeen. Made his debut. Um, fiery, wasn't he? he, he yeah, he, he, yeah. He didn't, he didn't work with older, older, experienced players. You know, um, trying to show him the, the the back of their heels. You know, he he, he was he was quite fiery. He, he liked to challenge. Um, yeah, and we all thought, wow, this is this is going to be something. And, yeah. I, and he, there were a lot of teams looking at him. A lot of scouts at games for Levi. I remember that. But um, he did suffer from what I can remember from a bit of homesickness, uh, went back to Ireland a couple of times um, uh, and then uh, returned. And at the end of the, the season that he, he played those games, um, he went to Bristol City and, uh, you know, they were expecting to see big things from him as well. But I, I think he, he didn't last long there. I think he ended up back in Ireland, yeah. um, leaving the deal. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, so so I've got to be careful. But you know, I, I think that the deal was scrapped, and he went back to Ireland. And as as far as I know, is still playing there. But great little player. Yeah, um, very yeah. very good player. Solid, 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 solid defender. Has played well over a hundred games for Cliftonville, as far as I can see, um, I in right. North Belfast. One of his uh, current squad mates is a bloke by the name of Chris Curran. It can't, no, it can't be, can it? No, no, it can't be. He, he, he must be about my age. I mean, member of the squad, that would <laughs> yeah. be. And the uh, the musical link there is that one of the um, one of the celebrity fans of Cliftonville is a gentleman by the name of Jake Burns, who was the front man for the Great Stiff Little Fingers, and still is. They're still touring. Is is that right? Yeah. So Jake okay. Burns, Jake Burns is a big Cliftonville fan. So he'll be familiar with our man Levi Ives, and that's it. Thank thanks to Julian for the um, for the A, A to Z. There are a couple of other eyes I wanted to pick up on. Remember the international match that was played at Plainmore just over three years ago? Yes, England under 18s against strangely against Northern Ireland. So that would have yes. been I for international. I think that's the only international that's been played at Plainmore, isn't it? I can't remember another. I don't think the England C team ever played at Playmore, so I think that may be the only time that the uh, the national flags have been uh, brought out up at Playmore. And the only other eye that we got on the on the list. Do you remember identity cards, or is this all before your time? We're talking about the late eighties. No, I had one. I had one. Wasn't it a, a horror? The talky, talky one, as far as I remember, was a horrible little bit of sharp aluminium that ripped a hole in your pocket. It was um, This all started at Luton, didn't it? David Evans, the chairman at Luton, 
um, decided after hooliganism with some Millwall fans that uh, football clubs would have to bring in identity cards. There was a, a ban on away fans for a while. Everybody had to have a card before they could get in. This, you know, these were, um, how can we say it in a politically correct kind of a way? The 80s were um, different political time than they are now. And there was a, a, there was a mood in the nation that football supporters ought to be corralled and ID carded and um, kept in their place. The, um, the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, was a massive football fan, wasn't she? <laughs> she was, yeah. She loved particularly the, uh, the lower league game. She was, um, she was a great enthusiast for... Um, yeah, you'd, you'd often see her standing on the terrace in the front. Yeah. You and I had better get off this subject before we get ourselves into trouble, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but, let's... let's... But identity cards, a terrible idea that um, fortunately never really caught on. But somewhere in a drawer, I've got my horrible, sharp, aluminium Talker United ID card somewhere, which is probably worth a few bob on eBay. A couple of years ago, I think I came across mine. So it's it's, it's around somewhere. Um, I don't remember it being out aluminium. Maybe you had a, maybe it was because of your, your press guys. So. Oh, possibly. Well, I, I just remember this this horrible thing that used to rip holes in your jeans pocket, and that it's just it was a stupid idea. And um, yeah, stu- yeah, stupid times. Moving on quickly, and yes. that that I think brings us to the end of um, of our eyes on the podcast. Um, regular listeners. Yeah. I normally come out, I normally come out with an obscure player, don't I, from from the, the Lee Edwards book that we've missed out on. But uh, there isn't one. There isn't you'd, you'd one. There genuinely isn't one. There are some great Jays next week, though. So everybody, don't miss the podcast next week. You've got a great manager coming up in the Jays, and you've got Rodney Jack coming up in the Jays. So, um, I'll, give you, I'll give you one, one eye that, that has a tenuous talkie connection. That's Danny Ings. Yeah. Danny Ings came up from the Bournemouth... Uh, Centre of Excellence, um, uh, uh, former Talk United employee Steve Cusran. Really? But yeah. There you go. So that, you that that's the kind of trivia you just don't get on other podcasts, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thank you very much for listening to uh, the podcast this week. Uh, hope you're all well in these troubled times. One day soon we'll have some football to talk about, but in the meantime, um, keep cheerful, stay safe, and come on you yellows. You have been listening to the Devon Live Herald Express Talker United Yellow Army podcast, recorded weekly by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. You can find us in the Talker United channel on the Devon Live website, and you can subscribe to us at iTunes. Please leave a review wherever you see us. We welcome all feedback, uh, whether positive or negative. We always like to know what you think of the Yellow Army podcast. Please join us next time.